All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely, sometimes extremely, extremely touchy-feely hmm. uh, version <laughs> <laughs> appropriate <laughs> version of i know this episode's like you know you can imagine me just crawling through the audio system to hug the guest uh, yes there's a lot of hugging through the microphone yes yeah um okay that's the, the what what is this it's the talking touchy-feely version of my book <laughs> photo work 40 photographers on process and practice i'm sasha wolf and i'm here as usual with that guy that guy <laughs> um michael Chauvin dalton hello michael Hello. Yes, this is a love fest. It is a love fest. <laughs> a wonderful love fest. Yay. Um, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. A lot of teaching, uh, working uh, a lot on some shows coming up at the gallery that I run in Trenton. And, you know, always, always, always busy. I was actually scanning film today. It was kind of exciting. Scanning Ooh, how my fun. Old film. Yeah, yeah. Revisiting some work that I haven't looked at in uh, 20 years. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's always so trippy isn't it yes it, it absolutely is fortunately i i kept good notes because i would have trouble remembering where these places were yeah of yeah. course yeah. <laughs> uh by the way we already have a good tip for photographers take notes it's so easy to think you're not going to need to remind yourself of things but when you're in the moment uh because it feels just you know so important yeah but, like by the way i mean don't we all do this with like when we put something in a safe place for hot, like something really important, like our passport. And then you're like, wait, where is my safe? Where's my special place? <laughs> yeah. It only takes, especially as you get older, it only takes one little movement <laughs> away from your routine to completely lose something. <laughs> all right. Nobody break into my house, but I'm now going to just say that. So what I do is I actually have just one hiding spot. Mm -hmm. There's no longer multiple hiding spots, and everything <laughs> of importance is in this one hiding spot. So, okay. Um, yeah, but for like decades, I did the multiple. I, I don't know why mm -hmm. I thought that was a good idea, but anyway. Yes. So, I think this is, this was, this is a great episode. It's the first callback, and it's uh, with my good friend, the photographer, Jillian Laub, whose new book and show at ICP just opened. What did you think? Uh, this was an amazing episode. This was uh, just an incredible, important conversation. It's hard for me to talk about how good this was without giving things away. And I, I don't want to yeah. because yeah. you have to hear this episode. But the conversation you have about why Jillian postponed publishing the book the conversation about the importance of text and imagery was unbelievable yeah. and the sort of wrapping up or maybe you know later in the episode conversation you have about trying to do it all mm -hmm. uh, especially as a mother and a wife mm -hmm. um is also was also incredible and of course you know at the heart of this episode is the book family matters and just jillian talking about her family is incredible so I can't say enough 
good things about it. Yeah, well, I think like for me, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have Jillian back was not just because the book was coming out, just came out, you know, and she's my friend, but I wind up in conversation often with people who are trying to figure out what to do about text. Peanut is drinking water, and I don't know whether the, <laughs> mi- the microphone is picking it up or I, not. I heard a little slurp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Peanut, are you done? Um, she's done. Um I, I often get into conversation with people about how to use text. Does text negate? You know, you have something like Gregory Halpern's book, Zizix, and also Omaha Sketchbook, two, like, I think really wonderful photo books that have come out in the past, I don't know, five years. And I think Greg has gotten a ton of recognition for these books. One of them won the Perry Photo Aperture Book Prize, mm. Zizix. And neither of them have any text, no essays, no nothing. It's like you're on your own. So that's one end of the spectrum. And, you know, then there's a lot of people who for whom text is really important. And so, you know, we always have these sort of like, is there a right way? And of course, there isn't. It's just whatever works. And so I thought it would be really valuable to have someone like Jillian really talk about the use of text in a project of this size and scope. It's a really big book. It's a 20-year project, and it's a big show now opened at International Center of Photography with the text. Yes. So so I thought that that would be really valuable for people, and Jillian is such a lovely person. And her, the story, and there is a story in this project. There's a narrative, and the narrative is incredibly gripping. It's almost mm-hmm. like a page-turner. So... There's that element just, you know, that I think people will find incredibly entertaining. And, and you just reminded me, you actually have a, another great conversation about the difference between a book and a show. Mm-hmm. And right. The way you experience the work. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. And she tells that story about the boy that she meets. <laughs> oh, yeah. at, oh, my God. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, without <laughs> so, further <yeah>. ado. <laughs> <laughs> so many good things. Let's just recap. Um <laughs> We'll have a standalone episode that's just us recapping. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll have a, a podcast about the podcast. <laughs> Let's be really meta. Um, spread it out. Anyway, okay, Michael, thank you. And if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Jillian Laub. Julian Raub, welcome back to the Photo Work Podcast. I was thinking about this moment the other day, and I realized that you were going to be my first welcome back. So that's Am very I the exciting. first welcome back? Yeah, you are. No way. You are. Okay, I hope you're not <laughs> sick of me. <laughs> I was listening to the episode, that our first episode that we did, I think it was episode 11, and this is either episode 31 or 32, I'm losing track, but um, I was listening back to the other one we did, and it, it's really good. 
Is it? I mean, you're really good. I'm I'm I, not trying to take credit. You're really I good. I can't bear to listen to myself, so I no. haven't listened to it. <laughs> so we were doing this today because of a couple of really momentous things. They're, of course, connected, which is that your 20-plus-year project, Family Matters, was just published in book form. As we get older, that's Aperture what we do. And a show of the same name just opened a week ago, a week, uh, 10 days, whatever, at the museum at ICP at the International Center of Photography. So congratulations. Thank you. I mean, talk about a long birth, but yep. it's interesting because when we did do the first episode, we talk a number of times we mentioned that the book is coming out mm-hmm. spring of 2021. That's right. And then right after we recorded that episode or soon after that, you decided to delay publication. So, so much to get into there. Yeah. Um, yep. You're the only person I know who ever fought with your publisher to delay um, <laughs> their book. Um, but you'll, you'll explain why. But I think I'd love people to just go back and listen to your origin story on the first episode we did. But if, in case they don't, can you just do a really brief one, just a really quick little bio? Sure. Okay. Thanks. So I've been photographing professionally for over 20 years, and I tend to work on long-term projects and do commissioned work as well. But my long-term projects have been testimony, which was um, portraits and testimonies from Israeli Jews, Israeli Arabs, and Palestinians, all directly and indirectly affected by the Second Antifada. And then Southern Rights was my second long-term project, and it was over a decade long project where I spent time in a community that had segregated proms and then a racially charged murder. And um, that ended up being an exhibition, a book, and and a film. And now this long-term project, which is over 20 years of work, I'm the most impatient patient person, I think, <laughs> because I'm very impatient, yet I spend like a very long time on these projects. So now we are talking about family matters. I really love this project. I've I've been looking at the pictures along the way with you since we first met, which was probably probably about 10, 11 years ago, or definitely even, 10 or 11 years, yeah, or 12 or 13. Longer. <laughs> Stop it. We're not uh, that old. Well, let's, let's talk about what the project is, and then we can get into some nitty-gritty. So why don't you just tell folks what the project is? So I began photographing my family, and it was more of a personal project over 20 years ago when I was at ICP. And I think at the time, it wasn't a conscious, you know, like, I'm making this project. But I've always been fascinated by long-term projects of other photographers. So I was in no rush I was doing my own exploration, right, of my own family and kind of finding my place in the world and my own identity. So I just would make these pictures of my family and then kind of put them in drawers and show friends. And and I've just been making this work for 20 years. 
but didn't really know that it was a project until about five years ago when Mm -hmm. my family, we had a dramatic shift in our family dynamics because my my family became passionate Trump supporters. And that's when the, the work took on a different, a different road meeting um, mm-hmm. <laughs> trajectory. I'm going to just talk a little bit about um, my feelings, impressions about the work. So it's a really big book, first of all. And it's a really complicated book for a number of reasons. I think, correct me if I'm wrong now mm-hmm. telling you what your project is, but I think one of the reasons that the book is particularly complicated, if not the main reason, is because it's as much a personal memoir as it is a monograph. So there's a tremendous amount of text written by you in the first person that accompanies the images. So it's a big book and it's dense and because you are talking about things really specifically, what each picture is about, and as you said, it takes this really dramatic turn when it turns out that your family, these people who you've always had some conflict with in terms of the way you live your lives, we'll get into that, but you were incredibly close to in a very, very typical big Jewish family sort of way where it's just everyone telling you how much they love you over and over again. (laughs) I come from one of those families. (laughs) You know, like, it's so funny because reading your book, I had all these memories of like when I used to go to my grandma's house, my grandma lived out in, in Jamaica, Queens, and whenever we'd go out to see her, all the ladies would be there. The ladies were my mom, uh, my grandma's best friends. They'd be Mm -hmm. playing like canasta Mm -hmm, or something. mm -hmm. And, uh, All the ladies would smother me and my brother with those sort of incredibly overwhelming kisses that sort of suctioned your cheek (laughs) out. That I now do to little kids. (laughs) And, you know, everything was just like how great we were and how cute we were and how Mm. much they loved us. And you definitely were like, I just walked in the door. Like, what have I done? I've done nothing. But (laughs) that sort of just overwhelming... The emotive love. That, that love. really emotive. I don't really know the history of that. I'm not sure how much it's connected to, you know, f- fear and loss. But anyway, it is definitely a hallmark of certain Jewish families. That and right. so certainly your family. And then all of a sudden, you're on opposite sides of an incredibly devastating divide. Mm -hmm. And you're a very, very political, very, very progressive person. And so, of course, this was really devastating and and really caused a big rupture in your family. But as I said, the book has a tremendous amount of text. I want to be really clear about something because I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. The text is incredible. I mean, I you know, I've read it many times because you shared it with me. And thank you very much for trusting me. You shared it with me. You're a trusted reader. You know, when you were working on it. And so I've read it many times. I just read it again the other day when it came out. It's just a page turner, So it, which is amazing. So the text is a page turner. The pictures are just absolutely incredible. 
But for sure, having that text and talking in absolute specifics Mm -hmm. is complicated and also really unusual. Yeah. So, well, that brings me to, I'll, I'll get, I'll answer your question why I postponed the book. It became apparent to me that this book, the photographs are the armature of the book, right? I'm a photographer. Mm -hmm. This is a photo book, but it really became so clear that the text, text has always been important to my work, but it became so clear as I worked on this that there was no way that I couldn't, the text couldn't have equal weight because there's so much nuance, you know, in, in what I wanted to express that I needed the words. The thing is, I, I don't want to depend on the words. The picture should stand, I always believe a picture should stand on its own no matter what. But this work is meant to be read cover to cover, right? So I delayed it because I didn't feel like I gave enough time for the words. Mm -hmm. Look, I spent 20 years on the photographs. I Mm -hmm. just started writing two years ago. So I didn't feel that the text was where it needed to be. Well, I think you're a great writer. I'm going to read the opening so people have a sense of, of the feel of this. And of course, this text accompanies a picture. One winter afternoon in 1999, when I was a student at the International Center of Photography in Manhattan's Upper East Side, it's since moved, I was taking a cigarette break with my classmates. One of them, a Norwegian guy who was working on a project about capitalism, pointed to some people on the sidewalk walking in our direction. Look at those vulgar women in their fancy fur coats, he said. I nodded in agreement at the lavish-looking pack, many of them with lipstick so bright we could see it from half a block away. But as they came closer, terrible realization struck. It was my mom, my grandmother, and my Aunt Phyllis with their entire Wednesday Art Appreciation Tour group. Jillian, oh my God, what are you... (laughs) Jillian, oh my God, what are you doing up here? (laughs) Grandma screamed. They surrounded me with hugs and kisses. The smell of their perfume made it hard to breathe, but their enthusiasm made it impossible not to smile. By the way, to me, that says everything about the whole book. The smell of their perfume made it hard to breathe, but their enthusiasm made it impossible not to smile. I come from a family of very expressive people, not just in how they talk, but in how they present themselves. Most of the time, I got a kick out of them. But on that sidewalk in front of ICP, I felt mortified. On the one hand, I wanted to grab my classmate's arm and plead their case. You don't understand. My ancestors barely escaped death from anti-Semitic mobs in the Ukraine. They fled to a foreign country, faced discrimination, worked their fingers to the bones, and managed to build something incredible. But I also understood that what they built, a life of emotional and material too-muchness, could be seen as crude decadence. I understood this because it looked that way to me, too. I was never particularly fond of rules. I was the girl who got kicked out of her own grandfather's summer camp. But as I got older, this rebellion took a thornier turn. I became, in effect, the family challenger, questioning the privileges that seemed to categorize our lives. That day on the sidewalk, I wanted both to hug them and to hide from them. This book is an exploration of the conflicted feelings I have about where I come from, which includes people I love and treasure, 
but with whom most recently in a divided America I have also struggled mightily. It is written with the intention to accept as well as to challenge both them and myself. So first of all, I just think that's incredible. You know, again, I do relate to, to part of it. My family didn't have the means that you're your family has, but the too muchness, as, as, you, as you said. Well, I think the, the thing that I've been discovering is that it seems that everyone can relate to something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we all have families. We all come mm-hmm. from a family. So I think that the larger story is about family. And it's not just specifically, you know, I think the, the, the more specific you get, the larger story you can tell. Well, definitely, how do you maintain love in the face of conflict? Yeah. Especially if it's challenging your values, which to me is why this is just heartbreaking and so complicated. But I do want to point out that that anecdote in the beginning, one winter afternoon where you're in front of ICP with your classmate, (laughs) that's really the tone of the book in terms of how it's put together. It's just there are all these anecdotes And so it has that incredible aliveness. You're not, the book isn't, you know, endless philosophizing. It's it's anecdote after anecdote with beautiful feelings and thoughts sprinkled in. Yeah. Your pictures are extremely large, too, in their own way, right? Your pictures are really bold. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of intense color there. I don't know what the word is, but... You had to write to sort of make the keep these things in balance. And I think you just did that so well. Well, thank you because it was, I thought it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think I drove Leslie Martin insane because I just labored over every single word. Yeah, the writing was a challenge for me. Well, again, I think, I really think you're a great writer. And I think it's normal to struggle. I've, I've heard, many writers talk about, you know, people think that it just comes pouring out and sometimes it does. But then when you go in to refine, you know, you can spend a day on a paragraph. So yeah, I, I have such respect for writers. <laughs> I am so in awe of writers. I, I think it's a form of torture. <laughs> so, I was a writing major, so I concur. So (laughs) tell me about the show or tell us about the show at ICP and about the ways in which the show and the book are the same or the ways in which they're different. The show, I really wanted to be an immersive multimedia experience. So, you know, obviously you can't have that in a book. And so much about this story is about voice. You know, I obsessively save everything, answering machine messages, letters, cards, everything. I mean, I am just sentimental like that. So they're both telling a story. They're both divided into four acts. But ICP is really about the audio is just as important as the actual um, images hanging on the wall. And the audio is my narration with family members' voices that I've recorded over the years and um, different voice messages from them. And my love, this is Grandpa. I want to wish you a wonderful trip. Stay in good health. I'm going to miss you. When you come back, save one night for Grandpa so I can see you and love you. Bye-bye, my darling. 
I mean, what's amazing is that, as you said in our first episode, you're sort of a hoarder. So you have, yes. you kept, I mean, it's really incredible. And it makes me feel really so envious that you have all these old voicemails from family members who I'm are no longer you, alive. I, I, I can't, I wish I had more. I really feel those give me the most, that kind of fill my heart. I really, yeah. hear, hearing the voices of people who are no longer here, there's, there's no bigger gift, really. So I'm kind of holding your hand along this journey of 20 years. Um, so that's that's what's similar between the book and the show, but there's nothing like seeing something in person, large on walls, but there's the intimacy of the book and um, being able to sit down and, and read it. So both formats I'm in love with for different reasons. I mean, I think that you know, for me personally, the, the, the intimacy of the book is, is really, I've never had an experience like that. Now, again, I, I just want to what? acknowledge that. Are you serious? Like, you like it that much? I'm so... Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I, I want to say, like, first of all, I, I, I do really believe with all my heart and soul that it's really an extraordinary book. I do also relate to, you know... Right. You know, and and I think with my mom passing away just a couple months ago, you know, that sort of there were moments in the book where I had to just stop because I felt, yeah. you know, well, I had to just, you know, burst into tears. And that's OK. It was good for me. But because you were photographing for so long, your grandparents are very important in the first part of the book. Yeah. And then we lose them. We yeah. um, see this is how connected I feel. <laughs> and it's really tough. As yeah. the reader sitting there, yeah, I don't know that I've ever felt that way. You know, when you see a film and you, and to me, I've been so influenced by film and you get so in, invested in characters and people, like you believe that you know these people, right? Yeah. So that's, I think subconsciously, I don't, it's, that's not even something that I consciously did, but I think that that's what I wanted I wanted a viewer to feel like they knew these people. Yeah. And cared yeah. about these people. Yeah. Well, it worked. I mean, the thing is, when I watch, like, I recently watched the final season of a television show that I love. Which and one? Unforgotten. Oh, it's, I it's a British that. show. Okay. Put that on my list. And, oh, I don't know if I should say now what happens. You can. Okay, don't watch it now because I'm going to ruin it. It's like three seasons, I think, and okay. they they kill off the main character. Huh. And I was so distraught, I had to just absolutely say to myself over and over again, she wasn't real, <laughs> she wasn't real, <laughs> right. she wasn't real. Because I was just really like a mess. So. Right. See how invested you get in those aren't no, no, real I know. people. I mean, so this that's... is why I wanted to make... You know, I loved making films because of exactly what we're talking about. But with your book, of course, they are real people. Right. And so it's intense. Yeah. I don't want to scare anyone off because it's it's not a bummer, this book. It's actually, you are really funny. So there's actually an incredible amount of humor in it. It ends on a very positive note. But yeah, but we do go on that really emotional journey for sure. Yeah. 
look, I feel, you know, for me, making it was cathartic and it, I went mm-hmm. on, it was my own personal journey. It was, mm-hmm. you know, almost like therapy for me, to be honest. And I'm hoping that that's what it's giving some people who are reading it themselves. So hopefully it wasn't in vain. <laughs> no, and I think really, I mean, just to get into specifics, the sort of moment where you realize that your almost entire family has become, you know, including your sister who you're very close to mm-hmm. and her husband who you're very close to and their kids who you're very close to, not, of course, the central people, your parents mm-hmm. have all become really obsessed with Trump, not yeah. just like tacitly yep. supporting Trump, but they're yep. they're full on in that space. And there's a massive rupture in the family and how you work to get back together again and how difficult that process is. I can only imagine is incredibly helpful to people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, even if it's not, you know, Trump per se, and I mean, this, it, mm-hmm. it was, look, so many families went through this more than I even fathomed when I was making this. So I, I wish, I wish I knew that when I was going through this, I would have felt a lot less alone. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, families experience these things no matter what, you know, Trump is just a stand in for, for something mm-hmm. else. You know, it's a friend of mine, when he came out to his family, they disowned him, you know, so it's just, yeah. I think that these are complicated relationships and we're all kind of trying to figure out how to navigate them, right? We are. So tell me, you mentioned earlier about loving this type of work, these long-term projects. Who are some people who, I mean, I, I think I can guess, but who are some people who you really were inspired by early on when you started going down this this road of these, of these oh, very goodness. long-term? Well, yeah. I've been inspired by so many photographers and artists, but you know, just long-term projects that you see lives unfold and mm-hmm. as time passes, like you know, Nicholas Nixon's body of work of the the Brown sisters, like that's mm-hmm. really, it's powerful because of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. I just, I loved Rinicky Dykstra's, you see the passage of time and in, in so much of her work. Mm-hmm. You know, even, you know, Sally Mann, you see her children grow up, right? Yep. You know, you're, you're so, you're so invested in her children and, and seeing them grow up. And mm-hmm. was Larry Sultan in there? Oh, for you? oh my yeah. goodness. Of course, yeah. Larry Sultan. I mean, he's yeah. like, his, yeah. his work just, it was transformative for me because I saw his work when I didn't even know that my work was, you know, work. <laughs> Does mm-hmm. that, you know, I was yeah. a student when I first saw his a show of his at, I think, Janet Borden Gallery in, in Chelsea. And so what does that do? I mean, to my mind, people get overly concerned about being influenced. I actually, as I've said on the podcast many times, I'm a big believer in that type of building block yeah, career, I, jumping off and ripping off with someone else. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all in conversation with each other, I think, you know, I'm sure that there, I mean, there's a, there's a photograph that I made in my, in my book. And I said to Eleanor, this is my Eleanor Carucci. Like I just ripped you off here. (laughs) Like, Uh I I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't, I was never concerned about that because I was so 
specific in my what I wanted to do no, and hold what on. I wanted let's to talk, say. Wait, yeah. let's, let's, let's poke at that a little bit because yeah. I think it's super important. I think of it as a, a sort of confidence. But so many people are so, I hear this all the time that people, I'll say, oh, you know, your work reminds me a little bit of so-and-so. Have you been looking at their work or what do you think about that? And I don't, I mean it in a good way. Yep. And yep. someone will be like, well, I know the work, but I, I don't want to look at it. Or, you know, I'm like. I get it. I know. Because it's so hard. Because that is really hard when you're trying to, I mean, look, if I, if I let myself be creatively crippled by the amount of rejection there, there have been so many comments made to me about my work. Oh, that looks, I mean, Tina Barney didn't like my work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she, I, I interviewed her for something and she said, oh, I'm, I'm not interested in these family tableaus. She probably just thought my work was derivative of hers. You know, mm-hmm. I was trying to, you know, make a Tina Barney picture and, and that was, you know, it was early on in my family work. So she just really dismissed it, but she was very, very um, supportive of my other work. So, you know, I think that it's like, you can't be so influenced by what people say to you about your work. You have to have that inner confidence mm-hmm. and belief in your own work because, again, like I could have taken that. I could have really, you know, taken that to heart and said, Tina Barney thinks my my family work is shit. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't continue with this. And she told me, you should continue with this. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's about what having belief in what you really want to say, because everyone's going to make interpretations and see, see different things in your work. None of that really matters. What matters is what are you trying to say with your work? Because people will always say, oh, your work reminds me. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So of course, I mean, I think of I, I say to people like, just do it, just do whatever. Chances are the thing you feel most passionately about and the most connected to is going to amount to something. But, Correct. Yeah. you know, at the very least, just do it. And what you'll wind up with, this is the way I like to talk about it. What you'll wind up with is a sketch for the, the next thing. Yeah. And so that's the worst case scenario is that it's a sketch. Yep. So it's a preliminary, you know, drawing, so to speak, of what you might do next. But best case scenario is it turns into, after 20 years, it turns into an amazing project. I mean, you can't know. And also, you have to stick with something if you feel really strongly about it because, you got A, you got to get it out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, B, I mean, my feeling is if you feel really strongly about something, you probably have a unique point of view about it. Mm-hmm. Even if it, you know, reminds someone, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not that concerned with reinventing I the think wheel. It's, yeah, I think it's like... It's a really, and and this is what, why I'm so, you and I connect because we're both so interested in the creative process. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's really about the process. Like I trust it. You know, anytime I start a project, I have no idea what it's going to amount to, what the final form will be. I'm really in it for the discovery, for the process. So that to me is my driving force. I had no idea what this would really turn into. Honestly, you know, I was also resigned to the fact that these pictures may just be pictures for my family and I to appreciate one day that I pass on to my children. And that's okay. You know, they gave me something. And so I have 
incredible family albums. Like that's okay. Right. Honestly, I think it's so important to just trust in your creative process and yes. and trust that it will be what it will be. You have to give it its space and time to develop yes, and yes, to yes, to yes. come into fruition, right? Yep, 100%. I love everything you just said. And I just want to just brag on this for a second because we didn't do this yet, but this has just exploded into the world. So you had a big piece in the New Yorker magazine, in New York magazine. Were you on the Today Show? <laughs> what What's going on? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, so just brag, just do it. I'm asking no. you to brag. So oh just God, say, no. say where, say where no. it's been. I, I'm still doing some things. So I'm like Cameron it's, Hall. It's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I have to say that it's been received well, and I honestly, Sasha, I called you not even a year ago, and I said I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I'm terrified. Is this going to be the biggest mistake of my life? putting this work into the world. And you did say that. It's such a lesson. It's such a lesson. Like I I want students to know this. I want people who are, you know, in the nascent stages of their work to know this. Like I had so much doubt. I didn't sleep at night. The doubt I had was so intense. And I finally said, no, I I think I'm telling an important story here. I think I am. And I'm just going to have to deal with the fallout. If I regret it, at least I did it with a whole heart. Let's just be clear about what we're talking about. Because you weren't, you didn't have anxiety about the pictures. No, but how they'd be received. I didn't know. The story. The story. Yeah. It's... It's complicated. You know, everyone has their opinions and we're living in a very divisive time. And, you know, how can my parents are Trump supporters? Yep. <laughs> well, yep. Just let's start there. Yeah. It's so exposing. And so, you know, it's so personal. And if people attack the work, they're going to attack me and my family. And mm-hmm. that's so terrifying. Yep. Yep. Really scary. I mean, I said to you, do it. And I think I said something lame like, I've got your back. I think I actually said that. But, you know, I knew that that was virtually meaningless, that, you know, if the shit hit the fan, you were going to be going through this by yourself. And, you know, I think it was, I think it's been really courageous. And in this day and age to admit that this is your family and that you still love them. See, that's the thing, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, everyone would be, you know, the the sort of haters would be like happy if you just disowned them, but it's more complicated than that. But I think the fact that you're continuing to work with them toward love and respect, mutual respect, is a gift to all of us, frankly, because we, we need to get back to nuance. Yeah. Anyway, all right. No, that is, I, I just want to say that that is, you know, that's that's what I was interested in and what I thought was so important to really explore is like the nuance because we just don't live in, we actually exist in nuance. We, we actually live in nuance, but publicly just, you know, with social media and our culture right now has lost lost the appreciation of nuance. It's either yes. you're this side or that side. Yes. So it was really important for me to to make work that questioned that and, you know, really looked at exploring the nuance. And that's, I felt scared about doing that. That's yeah. kind of crazy that I'm scared to 
you know, anyway. Yeah. Yes. So, so how does that work? I mean, I, I, I know I'm pretending I don't know, but anyway, you call Leslie Martin at Aperture and you say what, and she says what? So it was Christmas. Um, I remember I was away with my family and I just, I called her crying and I just said, I don't, the book is not going to be ready. I, I'm so sorry. I know I'm disappointing you and I know the implications that this has for so many people. And she was very, very, very supportive. She also just said, can we can we try and, and make this work? And I said, I will try and make these deadlines. I promise I will try my best, but I just, I don't know if I can do it. And that was two weeks of kind of figuring out the text and the issues that I had with the text. So she, you know, Leslie, like you, really just respects the creative process so much. And, but she also has deadlines and is very professional about her deadlines. And I take those deadlines seriously too. So when it became abundantly clear that there was no way I was going to feel good about what I was handing in those deadlines two weeks from then, I stayed up all night and wrote Chris Boot and her, who was the executive director then, an email just kind of pleading my case why I am so sorry to cause anyone inconvenience, but I believe in the long run this will be better for everyone and the project. And it was a long letter (laughs) kind of trying to convince (laughs) them why. (laughs) So that's, that's what happened. And I think it's worked out for the, for the best. So what happens with a show like this? Because it is, I think, as we've been discussing, this project is is just really relatable on so many levels. It's not just about the Trump stuff sort of comes in the, I don't know if it's the last chapter, but or the third chapter, the yeah. third chapter, I think. But so there's all this other th- stuff. I mean, even if we didn't have that, you had struggled with ways in which you felt different than your family. And so it, it is a family story and so many entry points for different people. Like I said, I mean, for me, it's so moving and I my, my family's made up entirely of lefties, so it's no, no Trumpers. But so where's it, it going to go? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I can only go day by day. I can't even think about next week. But what is kind of amazing, I was at the museum and um, a father and son were there visiting the show. And they came up to me and asked if I was the artist. They had recognized me in the picture. And the son, son, he said he's 20 years old and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I just want to thank you. My father took me to this show and I felt so alone the past years. He's like, I'm an art student and my parents, who I love dearly, are, you know, major Trump supporters. And his father read about the show and took him to the show as kind of like a peace offering, like, let's wow. let's do this together. And it was so incredible to be part of that heavy, yeah. moment with them. And this show was kind of their point of connection for them. And it was just so beautiful how this father took his son. Like he was really, he, it was so heartfelt. That's like something your dad might do. Yeah. And I just, I think that just being able to touch anyone, you know, if, and feel like this could help anyone. And, and just the knowing that 
it resonates with people is like, I'm just, I kind of want to just sit in that right now and just appreciate that and not kind of worry where it's going or how it's going. I'm just, I'm trying to just take that in because that, yeah. that feels really special. It, that is special. I mean, that's really amazing. I'm sure if you had the time and you could just hang out in the museum and, you know, you'd have a lot of those experiences. I know. And it would be really incredible. You could make a film about that, you sitting there like a I know. installation. I, but you don't understand. I actually was like, wait, I have to, I, I want a sign-in book. You know how galleries have sign-in books. I, yeah. I want to know who's coming, what conversations are they having with their families? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Like, why don't that, you do that? Why don't that, you have a book me, where people can write why they came? And... I, I need to do that because I, it's like I want to have... I love that idea. This is all about, you know, the photographs are a way to have these conversations like to me that that's that's been everything to me you know and in, in everything with southern rights with testimony so i i feel like it's just the starting point of having these like some of the most interesting conversations that we really haven't had you know i had a couple people come up to me and say you're you've said so many of the things that i felt and i didn't have words for and i'm like wow that's amazing. Yeah. That would be so Jillian if this was just the beginning of the project. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. I I, I kind of think we just hit on something. I, yeah, me I too. Need... <laughs> I'm in. Hire me. I'll be the, I'll, I want to be the boom operator. Can I just hold the mic? <laughs> Please, let's do this. Let's let this be our collaboration. I've done, remember my, my background in uh, production, there isn't anything I haven't done. I, I once held a boom. Um, I was working on a friend's documentary, just helping out. And I was holding a big boom over the head of people being interviewed. It's hard you know, work. It's incredibly hard work. It was about, you know, it was in the mid to high 90s outside and incredibly humid. And they had no AC on. We, I guess we turned the AC off in the apartment because of the noise. And so, and the interview is just going on and on. Oh, I've got my arms so above hot. my head yes. and I'm, I'm thinking I'm faint. I'm going to faint. I can feel. <laughs> no, you have and, to turn the air conditioning off. No, and finally, my friend, the director sort of catches me in her peripheral vision and just stops the interview and looks at me and is like, you're white. And I'm like, I'm about to faint. And she's like, put your arms down. Anyway, so. It's really rigorous work. I, I ruined the I ruined the interview. The The subjects, um, it was their house ran and got me a glass of orange juice. It was very nice oh, of them. No. And uh, I got back, got my, got everything flowing again. But anyway, so how's that for a digression? I love to go <laughs> off on some story that's not only has nothing to do with anything, but isn't even that interesting. I think <laughs> there's my specialty. Um, I love it. So, yeah, I do think that there's there's something here. I think there's there's the next part of this. Yeah. You and I were talking, of course, before we started recording. I just want to ask you about something you mentioned, because I think it's the artist's life in a lot of ways. Um, you were saying that it was your husband's birthday the other day, but you had a chance to go photograph and you yeah. took it. Yeah. Can you just, just talk about that sort of the highs and the lows of that? The highs and the lows. Well, like I said to you, I'm debunking the Sheryl Sandberg's lean in because it's just, to me, it's impossible and it's 
kind of bullshit because I don't think you can do it all and have it all. I think you're always sacrificing something mm-hmm. and it's a real struggle. It is a daily struggle. And um, yeah, so it was my husband's birthday and I've, I haven't been photographing because um, I've been working on this exhibition and book and I've just been missing it and dying to photograph. And I got a call and I was very excited about the story and and I had to make the decision to... Can you say who you got a call from? Or? I can't because okay. it's not, not going to be published. Or, or yeah, it, it was... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I actually can say it was from Vanity Fair, but I okay. just can't say what, what who the subject was. So yeah. I was incredibly excited about the story. But, you know, the weekends are... That is our my golden, you know, the, the time that I have with my family, mm-hmm. my children and my husband. And I... I knew he'd be angry at me, <laughs> but I I was so happy to photograph again. But then, mm-hmm. you know, also filled with such guilt that I left my family for the day on my husband's birthday. Look, maybe I'm sounding way too dramatic. I don't mean to sound so dramatic. I'm just saying that there's constantly, you're constantly sacrificing something. And, mm-hmm. you know, my family is so important to me. And I just, I think it's really hard to be a working parent and, and that's just the bottom line. Like it's, it's a daily struggle, um, because you feel like you're giving not your best to something. So before we wrap up, we're getting to the end here, um, time-wise, you touched on this earlier, but I want to ask you directly because it's something I've thought a lot about as I've sat with the book, because I know that I've known the work for so long I would go over to your studio sometimes and you would show me the work and it it really just spoke to me in the visuals. And then you started this project and then the text came along. And for me, obviously, and for everyone who's now experiencing it, I think is going to feel that the text is just this incredible gift. But has it ever sort of crossed your mind that when you decided to add the text that you gave up a traditional monograph, that you gave up being 100% just a photographer who was trusting the pictures? Great question. And maybe, maybe. Although I think about it in a different way, the standards of the photographs, I need each picture to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. So that is a prerequisite. Each picture has to be able to exist on its own as a photograph, but I, and it's, it happened to me with Southern rights. There's a a moment where there's something more, I need more. And, and it's not telling the whole story. Southern rights, you know, to me, the pictures of the segregated prom wasn't telling the full story, which is so out of necessity, I started to make a film Mm -hmm. because the pictures weren't allowing me to tell the full story I wanted to tell. So I don't have the answer because although I believe wholeheartedly in the power of the photograph to tell the story, I guess the text is so critical to the the work at large to me. It just deepens. I'm looking for ways to deepen our experience and our connection. And to me, it's the marriage between the photograph and the text is is the the best way to kind of view this work for me. 
Let me just end on a, another note of complimenting you. Um, it's interesting because, you know, so often when I'm talking to young artists or any artists giving advice, I'm, I'm usually trying to get them to think about how to add more ambiguity mm -hmm. into their work mm -hmm. and what that means for us as a viewer and all the ways in which we benefit from ambiguity mm -hmm. in the art world. But what's really amazing is that your pictures actually retain a lot of ambiguity while they're being really specific. It's like the magic trick of the century. I just, it, it's, it's really trippy. I've thought about it a lot. And it is, you know, I think people like Larry Sultan definitely and Doug Dubois and Eleanor and other people we've discussed, you know, have that as well. But there's something about this project where the writing is so specific and yet you can look at the pictures, know what is going on and still find different entry points into the picture that I, I just think is really interesting and, and, and really wonderful. So just congratulations on that. Thank yeah. you so much, Sasha. You've been such an important kind of, I, I just go to you for moral support and you've just been an important person with advice and you're, you know, giving me your eyes and your mind and your heart. So throughout this whole journey. So I'm really, um, genuinely a pleasure. So don't say anything else nice about me. I love you. I, I, I love you. Thank yeah, you. Wonderful. So thank you so much for doing this again. My first, thank you. um, my first welcome back and until next time, Julian, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.